hey, 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 stop, little girl, little girl, stop, look, I need to borrow your hoverboard. Where is he? Here. Those of you listening who were born in the late 80s or early 90s likely recognize that soundbite. That, of course, is a short clip from the iconic hoverboard chase in Robert Zemecki's 1985 cult classic, Back to the Future. Today's archetype is the man who took an unlikely path through architecture and has recently brought us just a bit closer to the future world of Doc and Marty McFly. My name is Greg Henderson, and I am a licensed architect. Greg Henderson, a practicing architect in California at a firm he co-founded with his wife called ArxPax, and notably the inventor of the viral Hendo hoverboard. That's right, folks. Hoverboards are real, and myself and the rest of the nerds of the world could not be more excited. This is The Archetype Project. I have, and I won't, I won't be shy about it, I have some bones to pick with the, uh, with the profession. That, of course, is Greg, and the more we spoke, the more I realized that his story is kind of an interesting story of triumph. Um, I think that, that uh, you know, architect, architects, by and large, um, come from a, uh, it, it is a, a point of, of privilege uh, where architects get to come in and do the exact part of a, of uh, the creation of a new built space that you know is the fun part really uh on the highest level of design it's simply loose sketches that then someone else takes and does all the real hard work to figure out how to build it and i think that the the profession's lost touch with how building actually happens i remind people every time where, where architecture comes from the greek right chief builder well not many architects today know anything about building. And, and I'm not just, uh, I just realized here, I have a, let me show you something. Greg turns around in his chair, reaches down, and comes up with a bag. These are my nail bags. I keep them behind my desk. This is a framing hammer. Most architects don't know the difference between a framing hammer uh, and uh, all the other types of hammers, but it's like snow to an Eskimo. And uh, I will tell you, as an architect, uh, when I'm on a, or when I was on a, on job sites, uh, I put my bags on sometimes when no one else could seem to do what I was asking them to do, and I had to go and, and show them. And it's very powerful when an architect is not afraid to pick up a hammer or a broom and get something done. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard this, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. It's a critique of the profession that's been around since the dawn of modernism, pretty people just making pretty things. So I asked Greg what he thought we should be doing or the role of architecture was in the world, and he turned to his story and the story of his firm in a really cool way. I am a licensed architect. Uh, I, I refer to myself as a licensed architect all the time because, I mean, that is the honest truth. That's where I came from, and... Uh, uh, although I may not be uh, designing buildings today, I certainly uh, plan on continuing to work in design 
of both um, buildings and entire living systems. And that is very, very important to what we do here. Uh, you were attracted or you heard about us because of the hoverboard, but the, the, the core of what we're doing here has to do with uh, a much more important mission. And that gets to the heart of who we are. You've heard of the Hendo uh, as the hoverboard, but um, that's our logo. Our conversation was via Google Hangout. So at this point, Greg was showing me the branding of his firm on the screen. And that's what we're really about, Arx Packs. That's Latin for Citadel of Peace. The logo itself is a shield with a flying dove in the center and has two olive branches below. It gets right to the heart of, of who we are and what we believe and what we're all doing here because we have the ability and, and consequently the responsibility to help protect lives and property and communities from Mother Nature's bad days. And we, we take it very seriously. Um, by using the, the Hendo hoverboard to sort of capture people's attention, uh, we're, we're trying to redirect some of that attention uh, into better ways to build. And uh, we're starting to be successful in that. So uh, you kind of started to touch on it. I'm, I'm curious as to your, your journey. So um, obviously we, our members and students in general are in school right now. So why don't we go from you know, your background, your educational background um, through to what you are, where you are right now. Uh, I went to the military academy at West Point and the preconceived notions people have in the architecture community about uh, people with my background coming from the military. I mean, I was a pariah to a lot of people. Uh, it, it, it still stings a little bit. Yeah. It's an unfortunate reality that some of the people who are taught in school just by the nature and virtues of design to be the most open-minded are often the most closed-minded. And that's... Well, the fact that you can, you recognize that is, uh, it, it, it helps me uh, uh, just be myself. So... Um, I, I really appreciate that. Um, so, and I, and I think you've probably encountered the same thing. Uh, typically, you get, um, I mean, architecture uh, strongly correlated to privilege, and uh, you know, folks who, who, uh, I mean, my dad was an army officer. I, I lived around in a lot of uh, uh, you know, army bases. Um, architecture was never. A consideration, um, but I like to build, and I've always liked to build things. And so, uh, after going through the the military, and of course, I was I was um, following the the written or sort of the the path, the subconscious path set up by my my family. Um, I was going to do what my father did and try and do it better, and that was be an infantry officer and uh, became an airborne ranger and all that all that stuff. Um, but the whole time, I, I really wasn't following my, my own heart. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, well into adulthood, you know, hey, it's, um, you know, where's my passion? It's in building things. And so I, <clears throat> when I got out of the Army, I joined a construction crew, and I was a laborer. Uh, I went from being a captain in the Army to carrying plywood on a, on a job site. Uh, the, at the same time, I was taking every available class at West Valley Community College, which uh, had an amazing program. Well, it, we're really fortunate in California to have our, our uh, uh, 
really great public education system and it includes uh, the, the junior colleges, the community colleges. And the local community college, I met a man named Michael Lorimer, who in my mind is still probably the best architect I've ever met. And he, uh, uh, he endeavored uh, throughout his career, and he still does, to keep ego out of the process. I, I learned more from Michael Lorimer at the JC than I did at, at UC Berkeley about buildings and about architecture. So after you, so you said uh, you went to uh, West, uh, West Valley, excuse me, and you started kind of your, your architecture focus there, and then from there it was UC, UC Berkeley? Yes. Awesome. So you got, did you get your, uh, it was a B-Arc at UC Berkeley? Oh, no, I, I got, uh, I had a, a BS in general engineering from West Point. Uh, and then, uh, again, every class I could take at the, at the junior college, which really didn't count for, for, for much as far as credit. Uh, but then I got my MARC at Berkeley at the College of Environmental Design. Awesome. So I'm assuming you've obviously worked uh, fairly uh, conventionally in, in a conventional practice or office after that? Actually, uh, before I was that, uh, or what, before I went to Berkeley, um, I spent about a year and a half working at a, at a design firm in Palo Alto, uh, Square Three, for uh, an architect uh, named Carl Hess, who taught me a great deal about uh, the practice of architecture. And so I, that was my office experience, but I, I kept working throughout the three years at, at Berkeley, uh, doing side projects for professors, um, and uh, well, because of the experience building, uh, they found it very valuable. And so I was uh, doing real life projects uh, pretty much my whole time in, in grad school. Right. When did you kind of deviate from the? <laughs> The end carbon proved straight and narrow, if you will. When was the? I mean, I think it, 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 in some publication or something I was reading about you, um, you kind of refer to this need to uh, innovate and invent that you don't often find in conventional practice. Uh, well, it was uh, as soon as I could. Is the, is the answer to your question? Um, it was. Uh, it, from the moment I graduated, uh, you know, I started studying for the ARE on my own, and I went to work uh, essentially for a well, I helped found a, a family development company, and one of the the problems um, that I discovered uh, in architecture is, uh, I mean, the real challenge is about overcoming the human resistance to change. So you're practicing, um, and when did you found ArxPax? ArxPax has been around for about three years. Okay. Uh, since two, we, we, uh, Jill and I founded it in 2012. Jill Henderson is Greg's wife, and it's worth mentioning she's so very sweet and helped organize this entire interview, so thank you, Jill. 2012, and was that a direct response to, I'm assuming, the, the climate and the... Uh, recession era workforce that we were all faced with? Well, we uh, worked very hard to, to uh, we were very hard as a, as a, our family company to get through uh, the recession. Um, and we, we hung on uh, just through persistence and hard work. Uh, and when we were uh, finally done with the, the last project, uh, I decided to go out on my own. 
And that's where I immediately started pursuing my passion with Jill's support uh, for finding a better way to build for floods and earthquakes and rising sea levels. And uh, that uh, ended up and resulted in last year, something we're, we're proud of around here, and that's uh, our first patent. And this is uh, describes a three-part foundation system uh, that consists of, uh, very simply, a containment vessel, a buffer medium, and a construction platform that essentially decouples a building from the earth to allow it to roll with Mother Nature rather than resist her. And th that's a key part of the philosophy of design, how we work here. Uh, fighting Mother Nature is a losing proposition. So that kind of sounds like that may have been where this and this hoverboard uh, viral sensation picked up. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? That's one of those things that um, is, aside from just being cool as hell, um, <laughs> is seems like just a faded occurrence that's really, really awesome. And here's where we start talking really nerdy. Warning, this content may not be suitable for those who don't love really, really awesome things. So, earmuffs. Well, uh, thanks. And, and uh, it, it was directly related. So this three-part foundation system, and, and I, I just want to pause and give you a little background. Um, you're familiar with the concept of base isolation? Um, no, but I'm sure I will be in the next three to four minutes. <laughs> So base isolation in, 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 in areas that are subject to earthquakes, Mexico City, the Pacific Rim, Japan, and here in California, it's a way of, of, of partially decoupling a building from the earth by using giant rubber isolators and friction pendulums. And this is essentially it's a structural engineering solution, uh, not an architectural solution. However, I argue that they're the same thing. Uh, and, and that, what that does is it, it, it's a kinetic transformer. It takes the short, fast shaking of an earthquake and slows it down to a long, slow shaking that a building can tolerate. Well, it turns out that that, that middle component, the buffer medium we refer to, it can be a, a liquid like water. Uh, it can be an entrapped gas. Uh, it could even be a liquefiable solid. Why not an electromagnetic field? If you can hover a train, why not a house? And that was the question I asked myself. Uh, so we started investigating, and it, it turns out there, there was no good way to hover a, an object in a stationary position that had a dynamic payload. Uh, the existing methods were extremely expensive and, and couldn't handle any sort of dynamic load or any great mass. Uh, the maglev trains that you may have read about in Asia and Europe, for instance, uh, the state-of-the-art superconductive maglev train outside of Tokyo doesn't even hover until it hits 170 kilometers per hour. And so it needs a completely redundant set of wheels and tires and, and, and tracks uh, before it hits that level where it can be uh, efficient. But, and I'll share with you the first epiphany, if you can hover a train and you want to hover a house, uh, how can those two go together? Well, if you can imagine for a moment that train going in a circle and that train being the same length as the track, 
it's essentially stationary relative to the earth. And that was the first epiphany and a series of epiphanies that sort of led to what we were able to do. Hoverboard. And uh, successfully test in my living room, you know, after spending uh, weeks and weeks uh, uh, with a bunch of parts, um, you know, off-the-shelf parts creating the world's first hover engine. Um, and that allowed us to go in the direction that you saw. And uh, fortunately, um, you know, Jill, my wife, with her support and, uh, you know, the fact that we, we both you know, put in our life savings into this this endeavor, um, it, it, it's paid off. One of the major reasons was to generate this inbound interest that we knew was out there for problems we didn't know exist. And the response has been amazing. People have reached out in all sorts of different ways. Um, uh, I will say, too, directly applicable to, to you and the AIAS, uh, you know, what is the value of an architecture degree? The, the skills learned are, I would say, they attract a certain type of mind, and that's the kind of mind that we look for around here. When um, we started getting inbound interest, a lot of people wanted to come in and, you know, hey, you know, I would like to work there. And uh, we put out a formal uh, request looking for a lead engineer. And uh, we've met with many, many engineers of all different uh, all different kinds, and the person who we selected to lead our lab and, and, and be our, our director of our research and development uh, wasn't an engineer at all. He was an architect. Da, 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 da. I think you kind of touched on it. I meant to ask, uh, you know, the profession is what it is today, and it's, it's going through some shifts, and there are some people uh, kind of fighting it. But that says, or that said, as, as an archetype, and, you know, we've coined this phrase for a reason, do you feel like you have a place um, in the professional discourse? And furthermore, do you want that place? I, I think that uh, I would welcome uh, serious discussions about uh, where we are that get away from, uh, you know, politics as usual. I think a lot of folks have been turned off because uh, it's not about building anymore. Uh, we've abdicated all of our responsibilities to other, other trades, other disciplines, and it, it's time to actually learn how to build again. And uh, that requires hard work. And frankly, uh, most folks in the profession, uh, when I say hard work, the kind that makes you sweat, um, it, it's, uh, it's not something that, that uh, I see changing. And that's, that's unfortunate. Um, I think, uh, and I will tell you, um, because it's happened so many times, when I'm on a job site and I'm listening to a contractor, they have good ideas. Uh, they can be learned from. Um, and most architects have a reputation of not listening. Um, and the respect you gain when you've actually built something um, and, and know how to use a hammer, for instance, and a skill saw, uh, it, it, it's um, it's very valuable in, in actually getting something done very effectively in the field. All right. And uh, one more question, I guess two more questions. What does kind of success ultimately look like for you and for, for ArxPax and for Hendo? What's, what's the end game? 
it gets down to this, and it's something I learned from Michael Lormer, my, my mentor long ago. You have a primary responsibility as an architect. And that primary responsibility is, besides protecting the health, welfare, and safety of the general public, it's to yourself to do what you know is right. And uh, for us, it, it is an obligation. The end game is, is, is knowing and therefore providing better ways to live, work, and play more responsible communities, more sustainable construction, because I don't care how green your, your project is, it can be LEED Platinum certified, but if it can't survive an event, it's not green at all. That's a pretty, pretty concise answer. And my last question for you is, if you could give one piece of advice and be, be that mentor for uh, a student in school today who's kind of sitting there and trying to figure out what, what route to take, whether it be mainstream or, or the new mainstream, what would that uh, advice be? Be true to yourself. Find what you like to do. Do it, do it with, with uh, all your heart and, and know that, that uh, well, steer clear from people who, who say they know uh, because wisdom is knowing that you don't know. And there's always a better way. There's always a better way. You heard the man. That was, again, Greg Henderson, founder of Hendo Hoverboards and Arcs Packs. The voice you heard in the background was his wife, Jill, co-founder of the firm. I want to thank them both for taking the time to talk to us today. A remarkable story. The Kickstarter campaign for the hoverboard actually closed out at just over 3,000 donors, the tune of $510,000. The promo video on YouTube has been viewed over 2.7 million times. And there's actually a more recent video up there of Tony Hawk himself on the hoverboard on a half pipe having a blast. As usual, you can find links to all that stuff and more on our website, archetypes.aias.org. Just track down Greg's profile page and we'll have all the information there. Now I could talk over this epic soundtrack music all day long. But I'm going to let one of our producers, Rachel, sign us out for today. The Archetype Project is a product of the American Institute of Architecture Students. Since 1952, the AIS has been dedicated to programming, grassroots advocacy, and resources aimed at shaping the next generation of great design leaders. If you're a student of design or thinking of taking the leap, check us out at AIS.org.